Helvetia Rocked is a Swiss national association raising awareness about gender inequality in the music industry while supporting, promoting and connecting professional female, inter, non-binary and trans artists. Through its grassroots projects such as producing, DJing, band workshops and songwriting camps, it offers platforms for young people of all levels to discover music and be part of an empowering community. Find out more on our website helvetziarocked.ch Sign up for the newsletter and follow us on social media. Musicians in Conversation is sponsored by Suiza, the cooperative society of music authors and publishers in Switzerland. Hi everyone, welcome to Helvetia Rocked Musicians in Conversation. My name is Natalia Anderson and I'm a presenter, content creator and DJ. In this episode of Musicians in Conversation, I'm talking to Odd Beholder, who is a singer, songwriter, political activist, and the co-founder of the Swiss branch of the international climate protection organization, Music Declares Emergency. She is also a coach for the Helvetia Rocked Song Sketches Workshop. We discuss how the act of playing is a great creative resource, Odd Beholder goes on to provide practical tips for musicians when it comes to the issue of climate change. And we also talk about the digitization and automization of the music industry and what that means for musicians in general. She also shares with us two tracks from her album, Sunny Bay. Send a direct message to Helvetia Rocked on Instagram if you would like one of our coaches to answer your question. But in the meantime, here's my conversation with Odd Beholder. Hi, I'm Odd Beholder and you are listening to Helvetia Rocked Musicians in Conversation. Hi, Odd Beholder. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm really nervous, but also very happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy you're here as well. Um, I'm going to start with the first question that I ask everyone. And that is, how did you get started on your musical journey? I saw a video of myself when I was a baby and it's my dad actually holding me to the piano and I'm frantically like hammering on the piano and I think actually the parents had a big influence there. I am um, I think that uh, it's something that is really underestimated. It's a huge privilege if you have instruments around in your house and even though they may just sit there in the corner. It's a big influence on young kids. I um, I remember that my dad once brought home like a cheap Yamaha keyboard from a friend of his that didn't use it anymore. And I was just obsessed with it. And I played like all the presets. There were all these beats on it. And I kind <laughs> of just mumbled over the beats and kind of sang. And, and you also could press only one button and then there was a chord playing and I the, love those yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I think I just by listening back to what happens when I just press different um, buttons I um, I learned how to play the chords by myself nobody taught me how to play them and I just started to play piano better and better because I wanted to alter the chords at some point and so I just learned that and um, I started to sing Swiss German 
songs over them about my Lego bricks and whatever. <laughs> I was really <laughs> small. And, um, but I think a big turning point in my life was when I had a boyfriend that was about, I was about 15 years old and he was a, like a very tall guy, a, a blonde sunshine guy and he he was really bad at making music he's he really was bad and he was a <laughs> he just bought a bass and he said i'm a really bad musician and i know i'm never going to be a musician but i think you are and let's make a band oh and no <laughs> and um yeah it was a really cool time to be young because it was like in the aftermath of grunge so we thought everybody could be famous and we just need to have really cheap and trashy instruments and form a band and then play in our moldy cellars together and um for example there were other bands that were called compost and uh, swamp and <laughs> <laughs> really shitty really shitty bands but that was the best thing actually because we were all so bad and we knew it and we visited each other and we went to this concert and we really had fun at listening to bad music. And I think that was so empowering because everybody could just, you know, everybody could be on stage and, and suck. Yeah. <laughs> it was still, oh my God, that sounds amazing. Good. Yeah, I think that was my formation. Dark pop is something that has been used to uh, describe your, your sound. How did you arrive there? Yeah, maybe it was because we always sounded so shitty like we we recorded ourselves obviously because we we thought we were great <laughs> despite <laughs> of the you know diy thing yeah. and um you couldn't hear my voice you, the drum was resonating <laughs> in this room and it was yeah and and so we 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 just grew curious about why does other music sound so neat and so crisp and so we just decided to leave out the drums and, and do some beats and um, I don't even know I think it was garage band or something yeah. so we <laughs> it was pre-installed on, on the I think it was actually the, the moment I had my first laptop and I wasn't that young anymore actually when I had my first laptop and the garage band was pre-installed on that so yeah. we started making some beats and this um problem was like the, the drum recording problem was suddenly solved <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean it was yeah. it, it's such a hard thing to do to record a drum you know and so um i accidentally moved towards yeah electronic beats i think mm. yeah i like that because it came as a sort of a a solution exactly maybe you wouldn't have <laughs> arrived there if you didn't want to sort of figure out how to or, or uh, the, the fact you wanted to figure out how to get a cleaner sound. Yeah, I mean, we shouldn't underestimate the, the economical side of it. I mean, all the microphones and the, the great dry rooms and the studios and all these things. I mean, these are huge economical thresholds. And the moment you could kind of work with MIDI and, and uh, work on your laptop uh, in, a, in a virtual space, you had so much more... At first, it was like it felt uh, like it was a really an more equal opportunity to create mm. sounds, yeah, that sounded not too crappy. Yeah. Also, I really think from a gender perspective, I mean, if you want to play a drum, you 
you're very visible, right? Because it's very noisy and loud and, and you, you're making these big movements and so you expose yourself a lot. And I think, especially as a young woman, I've I've grown up in a rather conservative family. So being a woman was always like being quiet. It, it was important to be quiet somehow. And so playing drums wasn't really possible in a way. I mean, it wasn't that my parents really forba forbade that, but... I didn't feel like I could take this space or be so loud. And and so if you make beats on a laptop with your headphones, you can be so radical with yeah. what you do, but nobody notices it. You're really <laughs> like in a quiet corner doing the insanest and sickest beats you can imagine. And I think that's also very empowering. Let's talk about how um, you introduce with your music a very um strong visual element your music videos are very cinematic and very full how did you arrive at that point of expression i think it <laughs> i'm such a yeah 90s kids i think or yeah early 2000 um because I was highly influenced by MTV. I mean, I've, I've watched MTV whenever I was at someone's place who had a television, basically. And I was so fascinated by this world of, like the the world of different aesthetics and imagery and how this underlined or even opposed music. And um, my dad also had a camcorder, and it was a really shitty camcorder, but as soon as I got a hold of that, I started to do music videos. So I think the first music videos I, I've done, I was probably 12 years old. And um, I just, um, it was a fun game because I made all the neighborhood kids play along and we, we made some <laughs> dances and, and things. For example, we made a music video for Tic-Tac-Toe. Um, the song was called Warum and it was about heroin addiction. And we were these like, 12-year-old kids um, sitting in the garage with spoons and some sugar oh in them and we, we were playing <laughs> heroin addicts what? and it was so dark oh and, and fun. I, I need to know what your parents thought. Did they ever walk <laughs> in on you go, what the hell is going what on here? Yeah, we were so fascinated by these <laughs> themes and the grown-up themes, yeah. Yeah. So that has um, sort of gave, given you like a foundation to uh, to explore even more like... Uh, the, the visual element I suppose of, of your music yeah it, it, for me it was always visual in a way I think um, it was a lot like um, it was storytelling it was always about storytelling and it was about creating tensions and emotions and suspense and and um, yeah I would always like dress up with my friends and we would always play theatre and, and these things and I think that it's just a prolongation of my childhood to still do these things, yeah. you know. <laughs> and I get really fascinated about lighting and how lighting can actually change the mood so much. And I think cinema is such a complete art form. I, I love watching movies and I'm really touched by great cinematographers. And yeah, I think maybe if I had uh, the economical resources and the, the self-esteem, it would be in cinema, but... Wow. Yeah, music was more accessible in a way. And yeah. yeah. I want to pick up on something you just said. I found it really interesting about the um, playing dress up and it being sort of an extension of your childhood. Because I think that so many times, I mean, from 
from my own perspective or from a woman's perspective, like you're told to, you know, you've got to grow up and at some point the play has to end. Never. Never. <laughs> like I, I really want to like drive that home for people who are listening to say, you know, don't stop playing. No, don't stop playing. Really don't because it's such a, a resource. I mean, if you play, you're so... I think you're your best self because you are liberated of pressure and of, I don't know, closed-minded approaches. You can pretend and, and in, in this, yeah, in the act of pretending you can explore so many things that you cannot do as your proper self. You have to kind of sometimes be someone else to be yourself. If you are involved in music as a hobby, profession or both, sign up for free on the Helvetia Rocked Music Directory. It's a platform for women, non-binary, trans and intersex people in the Swiss music industry. For singers, instrumentalists, bookers, managers, sound engineers, photographers and many more of all levels. It's about visibility, it's about community, it's about empowerment. We invite all of you to participate in the project. For further information, go to musicdirectory.ch. to talk about your song the first track that we're going to hear from you is called disaster movies can you describe to us how you arrived at this particular topic for a song yeah it's interesting um usually when i write songs i have a like mm, there's always the first sentence that comes to me and it's just there you know the sentence is just there and um for this song it wasn't a sentence that is still in the lyrics and it was like a schoolboy you want to be punished you want to be told yeah i think um by kind of reflecting on this sentence that was suddenly there um i thought a lot about our consumption habits and about the way we we pollute and ruin nature and that we are kind of waiting for somebody to put an end to this like somebody who tells us this is the the limit and you have to restrain yourself or you have to stop consuming excessively and um the sad truth is that there is nobody nobody out there to tell us how how or when to stop it's not going to happen we have to come to the conclusion that we want to stop ourselves from yeah and i think that out of this like mm, reflection i started to write about climate change i think we have a lot of end of the world rhetorics going on like a lot of movies are about the end of the world and how if you ruined everything as if it was like a given thing that we are going to ruin the world and we're just waiting for it to happen and i think that's a very sad yeah sad mindset and i actually want to challenge that because yeah why why don't we just turn around you know and i think we can we i'm i'm convinced that we can and um so I wanted to write a song about disaster movies. I sing this song from the 
perspective of two teenagers that are sitting on the ruins of a, a destroyed hometown and they wonder why it wasn't possible to to avoid this scenario in the first place and why they have to clean up everything now um yeah and in the in the chorus they sing about how they like to watch disaster movies when they had a cozy home and when they could still sit in front of the television and eat pizza you know and now that it's actually a reality that their hometown is destroyed they just wish they would have been able to do something else or rather that their parents would have had other stories and other visions and yeah i think that's the, the whole story behind disaster movies Throw me the Oh 
co-founder of Music Declares Emergency in Switzerland. Can you tell us a bit about that? I think it was really that train of thought that led us there that we can't really challenge society or the industry alone. We have to to unionize. We have to kind of talk with each other about the issue. And we, I mean, for example, if I sacrifice my whole mu- uh, music career because I'm a, an, an activist and because I avoid to emit climate gases I will just hurt my career and nothing else will happen so I need to kind of talk with a lot of musicians and a lot of venues and agencies we collectively have to consider um or kind of uh, reevaluate the situation and for example they never tell you when you when, when you are an artist you're so concerned or so preoccupied with surviving because it's a really hard tough ec- economical situation you are facing when you are an artist and so everybody kind of encourages you to to do so many things like you you are really kind of set up for a burnout right you have to do a lot of social media work. You have to travel insanely through <laughs> shitty or even better venues. You, you sleep in hotels. You you do everything you can. And you're also really prone to be abused by this system because you, you want to be ready. You want to work yourself up there. But nobody will ever tell you if it's worth to spend as much money, time and life energy on a career that isn't sustainable. Nobody's going to kind of question this for you. You have to do that yourself. It's like an an emancipatory process where you ask yourself, yes, I'm trying to be um, successful, but is this a meaningful life? And how am I going to become successful? And how am I, what, what kind of toll has that on my on my mental health, on my physical health, on the health of the planet, and how can I do all of that but sustainably and not be just this kind of um, this little ball that is pushed around by all these players in the industry and and so I think to to connect, I think music declares emergency is not only about envi- environmentalism; it's also about unionizing musicians and artists and having a conversation about what is it like to be an artist in this moment in time where our biggest challenges will be um one of our biggest challenges will be climate change actually and you wanna you are playing a part in this time in this age so what part will artists play in that moment in time and it's not only about 
driving by car or driving by train. Um, it's also about purpose and and yeah and responsibility. I think so. We we are organizing talks and we we're open or we welcome people who want to have the discussion with us and we don't have any solutions for anybody but we think that we are the solution if we stick together if we we have a conversations actually much like Helvetia rockt i think that's the same thing on a on a, on a feminist or you know gender equality level or or topic yeah that um, sort of made me think about one of my other questions was that, is there anything that artists should be really conscious of when thinking about climate and climate change? I'm, my brain is going towards, you know, like you get up and coming artists maybe looking to tour. To, to me, that's like the most obvious sort of connection. Like, how do you choose the way that you travel? Maybe, you know, but are there other things including that, that artists should be sort of conscious of, started to think about? Even though it's not, um, even though it's a collective problem, our solutions still have to fit our situation. And I think that there is not one solution for every artist or every musician and the situation of each person is very different. So I think it's Mm, you are. I want to empower people to really come up with things for themselves, because as soon as I start to give tips how you should change your behavior, I might treat you unfairly because I don't understand your situation. And I think for me, of course, it's possible to travel by train, and I'm doing that. I'm touring by train because I can. I'm, I'm making electronic music, and so I have my drummer drummer within a small backpack, right? Yeah, yeah. So. I'm happy that I can do that, but I would never ask that of a band that is um, like five people with a drum. So um, there are electronic tour bands, and I think that's also an important thing to regularly check, like how are the technologies evolving? Yes. Can I be part of that? What? How expensive are they? And maybe even come up with like innovative solutions that you call a company and you say, hey, I want to tour with an, with an electronic tour van, but there is no not not a single one that is affordable for me. Maybe we want to make a cooperation. Maybe you can sponsor us, and we will be public about it that we are touring in an electronic band van. Um, or you, actually, also very important, and I think that's something so that is also really easy to do is just advocate during the the concert that you want your audience to come by train because even though you can fly and you can drive yeah. by car, but yeah. the audience is the lion's share of the emissions. So just say before the show, please come by train, and this is going to save a lot more CO two than if you would come by train. So, and also I think being like, sometimes, I mean, we all have to maintain a relationship with our fans and this relationship is really different between different artists and their fans. So if you are a political artist, you can um, be very open about your political ideas, I think, on social media. And if you are like that, then please do it. Mm. And if you don't work like that, you may just post a vegan recipe uh, someday and you don't even advertise it as a vegan recipe. You just post your favorite recipe and it happens to be vegan. And your, your I don't know, 
your cupcake baking friends yeah. <laughs> will will just bake a vegan cupcake uh, that night. And um, even though these things sound so silly, I think I am really convinced they make a difference. And yeah, yeah you can. I think you know your fans and you know yourself and you know what you can do. But you just have to regularly think about what you can do. And I think that will change the world actually. So as an artist who has been working in music, what are some of the ways that you have been able to make money? In the past, probably my music, like Odd Beholder's uh, business model would have been royalties because I think my music is great for headphones and if you're sitting in a train, you may want to listen to Odd Beholder. Of course you will. (laughs) And actually, if you're listening now, as soon as we finish this conversation, I will implore you to go and find Odd Beholder's music and listen to it in your ears. Oh, yeah, no pressure there. But <laughs> no, I am pressured. See, I'm allowed to pressure you, right? I'm allowed. Natalia is, and I'm pressurizing you to do it because you won't regret it. It's beautiful music. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, I think that. So streaming would be a lion's share of my income. Like if you consider the way my music reaches audiences. Um, But because the streaming business pays so bad, like, yeah, per stream you get really not much money. So Mm. um, I can't say that it's actually true. I, I have a lot of streams also in comparison to some of my friends. Um. But it's still not enough to to survive. Um, so I am also like like other people. I'm forced to play live. I'm, I mean, I like to play live as well. But as an introvert, it is kind of not my element, um, and it's more an econ- economical decision to to tour and to play live live because the money is better there. And I would say that's um, the lion's share of my income. So yeah. I think it would be nice if streaming would pay more. Oh, what? That is such a conversation. I never know what the solution is because I feel like if the solution was that, wouldn't we all be doing it? Don't you want to pay artists? Mm. I don't want to believe that these people are doing it on purpose. No, I think so. They don't. I don't think they do. I have had a lot of conversation with people also with businessmen and women yeah they they didn't even believe how dire the situation is for some musicians i think that most of the people don't understand it really and it's quite funny because every time i'm telling somebody that doesn't know me that i'm a musician the first question is can you live from that yeah yeah but as soon as you really kind of tackle the the problems in the industry they are very defensive because i think Actually, there's some kind of guilt thing going on. I think a lot of people ask that very question because they know that they don't pay for music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, yeah. I would just could just uh, reverse the question and say, "And oh, you listen to music? Do you pay for music?" Mm. It's like I don't know. There, there's something. I think society has this really weird kind of. Uh, it's like a guilty pleasure thing, yeah. and also I think it's like. Um, it's, uh, now it, it's a bit of Trump, but I think um, it's like with prostitutions. We hate the the idea that 
somebody gets paid for that love, you know. Mm. And I think they want us as artists to love our jobs so much that we do it for the art's sake. <sighs> do you remember when it was um, like in lockdown and you saw in many, multiple different countries? I remember seeing footage, I think it was from could have been from Italy or Spain and there was like opera singers singing to their neighbours on the balcony and everyone was just like oh my god like these musicians are coming out and playing for us for free and then it's just like well what how have you been supporting them since or even before mm. this you know musicians are humans who who need to eat and who yeah. need to you know but certainly when it comes to streaming I just because, I mean, I love streaming mm. because I could be in my car in one day or in the kitchen and a song from my childhood, <laughs> just yeah. a random song pops into my head and I go, I want to listen to that now. I want to listen to this obscure girl band that never made it outside of <laughs> North London. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I can go and, and, and listen on Spotify or whatever and it's mm. there. But there is that kind of guilt you know, knowing that no matter how much I put this song on repeat, this person's only going to make 0.1 cent. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, but but also what, what, what confuses me is that it's technically like a new technology, like it's within our lifetime, right? Mm. So it's a new sort of part of the industry. So why wasn't it set up correctly? Yeah, I think it's because two utopian spaces met and it has a lot to do with the 60s I think mm. or 70s um, the internet met with music and it was this utopian dream that yeah. suddenly everything is available and for free and we are sharing this we are in this huge community and everything is accessible and we are just like embracing each other digitally and, yeah. and you know all these, <laughs> these utopian ideas and I think that there is a big, it's actually kind of great and I'm not opposed to streaming, also not opposed to streaming the way it is right now, but there is a huge problem that is actually affecting all of the industry and it's digitalization and it's automation. Um, what's the word? Uh, automization. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> exactly. Um, and actually Spotify is already putting out AI generated music to test it. So so we are part of a system that in the long run will not need any human musicians anymore. I'm pretty sure about that and it's going to happen. We will see the light of the day where robots are making music, customized Whoa. music for us and musicians won't be necessary anymore. No way. <laughs> I do, look, I, I, I love um, thinking about the future, right? I love... Actually, my thing is, when I'm in an old person's home, I want to have a humanoid robot oh. that I can... Yeah, that <laughs> give me my medication, <laughs> but also play my music and I can tell them what to play and stuff like that. So I, I love that sort of thing. But I always, in my brain, I always thought that the safest jobs were the artists, were the musicians, because you cannot recreate that feeling. And now you're telling me that automization is going to ruin yeah. that. Because because you see, I mean, other people's job, you see like maybe yeah. at the train station, you buy your tickets from a machine now. Mm -hmm. And so you don't need a person to be there or the bank, everything's on your apps. But I never would have thought that music would be next. I read a really interesting thing. Um, 
in a newspaper in Berlin, um, they said that Marx, yes, Karl <laughs> Marx said <laughs> that uh, you can the only resource that you can exploit is humans. So you cannot exploit a machine actually because it's gonna cost as much as it as it is worth because yeah people will sell it to factories and um which means that we are probably experiencing like a huge economic disruptive moment in time where the whole capitalist system as we know it won't work anymore and so we are heading towards a general income i'm pretty sure about that so i think that musicians are the first people would no no that's not true but i think that we would all greatly benefit from a general income um because automation is ruining so many jobs including musicians lives yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I think that um I wanted to also admit that I think most of the musicians in this country are surviving through government funds. Mm -hmm. And um the funding system is really interesting to look at and um there is a huge bias between pop music and like the classical music and jazz music. I think 99% of the budget still goes into classical music. It's an insane injustice and also mm. has some racist connotations because yeah. classical music is like the the white, <laughs> um, I don't know, traditional blah, blah, blah thing. Yeah, yeah. And even though people like pop music much more, they don't fund it equally. So I think pop music is being discriminated in this country and in terms of funding. And I think that um, there needs to be a change in this system as well because actually funding is probably the future of national music production yeah. because there is almost no economic um revenue really in in sales and yeah because of the streaming industry and i think that we really i'm i'm uh, actually i can survive because there is a foundation who gives me like a basic income that's mm. my my one and only like um solution right now i yeah. cannot live from what i do and um yeah i can without funding i couldn't survive so i think this is a really important topic to talk about and i'm not saying you should give me all your taxes but i'm saying we are one of the industries that have suffered greatly from digitalization and maybe this will also affect other industries as well. So we are like an experimental oh, yeah, absolutely. group of people. Yeah, yeah. find the solution yeah. with the artists. <laughs> Would be nice. Yeah. Odd Beholder, thank you so much for your time today, for your energy. What a great conversation. Thank you for coming. Thank you for the whole thing and the organization everything. Before you go, can you introduce the second song that you have for us? Yes, I'm happy to introduce the second song and it's called Rental Car. It is like a road trip through a very wide and open and free nature, but there are like national borders that you that we have to cross and not all of the people inside of the car have a passport that allows for them to cross the border. So there is a tension in between the people in the car because some of them have like solid international passports such as the Swiss passport and some of them maybe are illegal in the country. So whenever they encounter a border, they are in a very bad situation. 
want to join the Helvetia Rocked community or find out more, check out the website, sign up for the newsletter and follow us on social media. And if you like what you've heard today, please share it with your friends. Musicians in Conversation is a concept by Natalia Anderson in collaboration with Helvetia Rocked. It's presented and produced by Natalia Anderson. Music is by Jesse Quartz.